0: Welcome back to Significant Others. I'm Liza Powell O'Brien. In yesterday's episode, we learned about the profound friendship between James Baldwin and Maya Angelou. Today, I'm so excited to welcome comedian, best-selling author, and host of the Emmy Award-winning CNN series United Shades of America, W. Kamau Bell, to talk a little bit more about the impact of these artists and the importance of affinity groups. Kamal, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So, this episode that we are discussing details many things, but primarily the relationship between Maya Angelou and James Baldwin. So, I, I was wondering if you might talk a little bit about how you see the impact that Maya Angelou had on American culture, on pop culture in general.
1: It's funny when I first think of, uh, of, Maya Angelou. It's it becomes like there's um you know there's famous people there's icons and then there's people who are like sort of this like holders of the culture
0: mm. which
1: is sort of bigger than than all those other things like you know you can be Michael Jordan you can be Oprah Winfrey and then there's the people that like Oprah's like no 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 over here this person holds <laughs> she's the she's the
0: person who unlocked yeah, Oprah yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah
1: so I think that and and happy in her lifetime because this has not always happened for people who hold the culture, specifically Black women, that she got to see it and be a part of it. Mm, yes. I don't think that, you know, there's, I think about like somebody like Nina Simone, who I think also has, a, is sort of underrated in how much of the culture she was holding for us and didn't really, even though she died old, I don't think she really got to feel it in the way that like Maya Angelou got to be sort of brought around the world, shown as like, this is somebody who holds a culture. So I think it's like, just the impact. Like I can think about my mom. So my mom went to Stanford to get a PhD in African American literature, and this is the late 60s, early 70s. And they said that wasn't a real thing. So, <gasps> so, so then, so, what did she do? Uh, she dropped out, and people still call her, think she has a PhD, and she does not. But she well, certainly she has should. the knowledge. She says that yeah. the certificate. And so, my my Angelo is, is one of the people who sort of loudly said, "This is a field." Mm. this is a thing that that Black people engage in and that we do. She's one of the people that you can point to and say she kicked the door open. So, yeah, I think that I never got to to meet her. I never didn't know her, but certainly feel like, you know, there's these, again, people who hold the culture and she's one of those people.
0: And then the story, as I understand it, we can't know, obviously, whether or not she would have ultimately written her memoir without, you know, having this interaction and this friendship with James Baldwin. But this moment of him granting her access to the world that could enable her to mm-hmm. make this change in culture, to me feels so precious and so specific in terms of it being this friendship-based connection. Mm-hmm. And almost a little ironic as I listen to you talking about her position in the culture because as a writer, he is, I consider him a foremost American mm-hmm. writer. And I don't know that he had a similar emotional impact At the scale that she did, because maybe because he wasn't the first, maybe he was the second or the third person.
1: I don't know. I think that I think I think Maya really we can't underestimate the the sort of the Oprah effect on how she sits in the culture. And I, you know, I think that 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 if James Baldwin had been around for that, I would imagine that he would have had his Mm. his run on that, too. (laughs) I think that he Mm -hmm. and I think the way that most people take in James Baldwin now, which I think is actually kind of awesome, is YouTube clips of him giving speeches and him debating people. And I think there's something great about that because you can read the text and have one idea of the person, but really seeing him like actually do the work that you feel like, wait, is this from today?
0: (laughs) I had so many of those moments when I was doing the research for this episode and reading his what he was writing in the the thick of the civil rights explosion and Mm -hmm. thinking, uh, you know. It's still a frustrating feeling of how many times do we have to relearn the same lessons? You know, he was saying all the stuff that we need to be hearing and remembering and saying to ourselves now and and saying it so beautifully. Well, that's great that he's having his, his reverberations. You
1: no, know, he's sort of, he's one of those, it's funny, one of those people who like, who would imagine would reverberate through like Instagram videos and TikTok right. videos, so, you know, like, but it's, and that's what I go, sometimes it's easy to condescend to social media. It's easy to point out the problems with social media, but that is something that I think it does really well is like, recontextualizing things that you might have thought were boring if they didn't come through this format.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel he would have appreciated that.
1: No, I think, yeah, I think he would have. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine he would also have said, and what? what's my percentage of that? What do I right. get on that? <laughs> As, well, that's not a bad
0: question. Um, this connection that they had, which I just hadn't known about before I happened to read an article that mentioned this sort of conversation, this dinner that he had with Jules Pfeiffer and his wife, and he brought my Angelou and cause she was feeling sad. And, you know, and then she told her stories. And the first time she had told her stories and they all loved it. And then they called their friend the editor. And it was this kind of crazy little domino effect thing. But it made me think of the phrase, and I don't know how prevalent this phrase is or if it's just in the the sort of work that I've been doing, but this idea of affinity spaces. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's something that you think about.
1: I mean, they literally have them at my daughter's schools, like, Mm. you know, the the affinity spaces. So there's like the, for uh, black girls, for black people who identify as girls, basically is what I think how they put it. So there's Mm -hmm. like, there's all these different affinity spaces at their schools where they can participate in being around their self-defined kind. So.
0: Our son is in high school and they had a day where they did some of those types of workshops. And I, he was sort of like, well, they're, there really isn't a space for me, which is, to, you know, because he's the one everyone's defining themselves. He's against. The space. He's like, that's right, he, And he, he acknowledges that. And he's like, "I'm, it's totally fine. I just do, literally don't know where to stand. You know, mm-hmm.
1: um, I would say stand in your discomfort. I yes. think that's the, that's the best thing you can do. And I think the more you understand it, like, oh, this is one of the and I'm not I don't know your son, but I'm saying if, if we're talking about like racially and identities that are mm-hmm. more marginalized and oppressed. And he's not one of those identities. Then now you get to sort of see a little piece of what it is to stand in the discomfort of like, there's no space for me. And I Absolutely. would say soak it up. And so, therefore, the next time somebody who is like not you tells you about their experience, you you can maybe relate better. Just to go, oh, okay, I I, I have I have seen a piece of that.
0: Mm. You know. Um. And you have a new book out. Do the work: an anti-racist activity book.
1: That yeah. That that book came out of really out of 2020 and the racial reckoning of George Floyd and the murder of George Floyd. by the people, That book was like basically me and Kate who wrote it were sitting in my office watching like January 6th happen while we were writing this book on how to create an anti-racist society. And then before that, in the few years before that, I wrote my first book called The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamal Bell, which is more of a memoir. I really related to to Maya Angelou saying, like, I'm only 40, <laughs> like, you know, like, I can't, right? I, I really, when I wrote my book, I was like, this seems sort of ridiculous, but I really sort of, at the time, thought, like, like she, like, I really thought about her. She wrote seven yeah. autobiographies, or like, I get, like, yeah, this is just the one I'm writing now. This is yeah. probably, you know, then maybe I'll write seven more, or maybe I'll never write one again, but it's not that serious.
0: I wonder with her how much um, coming from the place of needing to explain an experience of America, you know, to your earlier point that had not been explained in a, mm-hmm. you know, sort of widely appealing memoir form before, if that was part of the heaviness of the lift of that, the, mm-hmm. and maybe why she was like, okay, I'm good with just this first chunk. Like, that's enough just to get her to her 20s. That was enough for an entire yeah. book. Yeah. So I don't know if you had any of those feelings. I mean, I would
1: I would imagine that, I mean, first of all, as you learn is like, she had to get over the idea that she wa- there wasn't a book in her. Right. Because I think you think about being a a black woman who's growing up black girl in America, you're not being told that your words are important, even necessarily in your community. And Mm -hmm. there's certainly not a lot of role models out there of like black women. Like there's not a lot of black women who've written books. And so that you're aware of because they they exist, but your your educational system is probably not bringing them to you. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that you have to first get over the fact that your words are worth something and then you got to do it. And I think the thing that, that, Maya clearly had was like she was a doer. Like if you look at her biography, like yeah. you know, just the fact that like to have moved that many times, to have had that many different I'm a dancer, I'm a singer, I'm a poet, like you know first and, black
0: female streetcar conductor in San Francisco at age 16, 50, I think. It was. Yeah, something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Crazy. So
1: clearly that was that's the key factor there is that she's a she's somebody who like I do things mm-hmm. and I, and I'm not afraid of doing new things. So and as you see, it's like the challenge of doing it is what actually maybe made her do it. Like, oh, I can't do it. Okay, now I'm going to show you. Absolutely. Which I think some people's brains work that way. Like, if you want to get me to do something, say I can't do it. And that's so, right. For me, it's just that thing about like that's the secret sauce of her. Is that I'm uh, I am a doer. I'm not a. She's not somebody who who marinates. So then probably once she starts writing the book, it probably I would imagine once it started, it was like, <laughs> yeah. it
0: was a torrent. Turns out there's a lot to say. Yeah. 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 I don't know what time it is where you are right now, but where I am, no matter what time it is, I always have the same question. What are we going to do about dinner? This eternal question really is the bane of my existence much of the time, but not for long, because I found something that is basically an eternal answer to that question. It's called Factor. It's chef-prepared, never-frozen meals that get delivered right to you and are ready to go in less than 10 minutes. The good folks at Factor kindly sent over some for us to try, and they were not only easy and fresh as promised, the meals were real crowd-pleasers. The whole thing is super flexible, like you can pause deliveries for a while if you need to, and they have meals that satisfy most diet restrictions, like high protein or low calorie, even keto. So if you like good cooking, but you're not psyched about devoting a bunch of your time to doing it yourself, check this out. Right now, you can get 50% off just because you're listening to this podcast. Go to factormeals.com slash significant50 and use the code significant50 to get 50% off. That's code significant50 at factormeals.com slash significant50 to get 50% off.
1: The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.
0: So did you have anyone in your life or any number of people who functioned for you in this way, similarly to what James Baldwin offered Maya Angelou in terms of just fellowship or access or anything that kind of set you on a certain trajectory?
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I think I can think of, I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's sort of like multiple different people for different reasons. One of the great things about James Baldwin's stories is that it's very clear. Like we think of these sort of like heroes from the past as almost being separate from their timeline. Like you Mm -hmm. sort of read their story and in James Baldwin's story, you can see like, no, he actually was around Malcolm and Martin and like, he was actually friends with my, so you get to see like, there's all these people that you, the the famous ones we know about that are connected to these people. But then there's all the people I'm sure that we, whose names that we don't know that that aren't famous who are also doing that same work. So for me, it's like, I can think of people, you know, one of my oldest friends is a guy named Dwayne Kennedy, who I met when I was 21 years old doing stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. And he's a stand-up comedian. And, you know, at the time, he was like the older cat on the scene who, like, everybody was like, that guy's a legend. He's the legend of the scene. And for some reason, he, like, allowed me to hang out with him. Actually a friend of mine sort of set me up. My friend Jason was like, come out and hang out with that guy. And so he initiated a conversation with Dwayne and sort of sort of was a bridge to friendship. And me and Dwayne had like and you know, it took me for a while to break through my career and as soon as I did, I started like basically like I can keep him in my life if I give him a job. <laughs> like so
0: like, <laughs> so like
1: every project like every major project I've had, he's he works on United Shades, he worked on my Netflix special, but and when people ask him what is your job? Like, what do you do for Kamau? I don't know if you've seen The Sopranos. Yes. So I, so Dwayne will make fun of me because I have not seen every episode of The Sopranos. And oh so boy, I, was, how dare yeah. you. I know, I know, I know. There's a lot, of, <laughs> I, I was going to do it and then more TV kept coming out. I've seen some, but I've not, I can't. But he says that he's the goat that is the friend of the horse in The Sopranos. <laughs> he's Pile uh, My's goat. And the so, emotional
0: like, support goat.
1: That, yeah, that you can't really tell exactly what that person is doing but it's clear if that person's not there, things don't go well. So, and and I'm luckily at the point, I don't have to explain to anybody. I'm just like, Dwayne's going to come, he'll be here. And it it just happens. So, yeah. So, uh, but then I look at like a friend of mine who I met when I moved out to the Bay, like, I guess I met her in 2003. This woman named Martha Reinberg, who was not in this business. I was teaching a solo performance class, like how to do solo performance. Mm. And she was a student. And very quickly, it was just very clear to me that like, just the way that, like, she was my student, but she was making fun of me in front of other students. Like, mm-hmm. you're like hey, wait a minute. And These are all adults. Let me be clear. It's all like, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm, we're all adults taking this class. But she just sort of respected what I had to say, but didn't just respect me full out all the time. And mm-hmm. so then we sort of became, we were both only, I think we bonded because we we're both only children. And there's a way in which only children understand the world. Mm. Uh, even though she was a white lesbian and I was a black heterosexual male. it was like, but we sort of had this only child thing that I think people don't really underestimate.
0: That's fascinating.
1: It's yeah. a and whole so, other conversation. It's a whole other. I, I often tell people, like, separate from racism, my identifier would be only child. But racism oh, does not let me form that that identity. So, yeah.
0: I it, I wonder if that's ever an affinity group option.
1: I, I, I've i never seen that. But I think that if you got a room full of only children together, they'd be like,
0: oh, yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, we're, no, I think there's definitely affinity there. Yeah. But yeah, Martha ended up becoming somebody who became like a fast friend and then a collaborator. And then my student ended up directing my first, my big solo show. Not my big, the solo show that got me my career started. She directed it, even though she came to me as a student. Wow. And, and there's somebody who like, like said that to me one time, the thing that I will always quote her for is like, I was doing this solo show about ending racism. And she's like, you know, it, it, you're, you can't end racism and make sexism worse at the same time. And I was like, what? But I'm not a sexist. I don't do Uh, And She sort of explained to me, like, if by comparing yourself to the worst examples of sexism, you're not, that doesn't clear you of your own sexism. mm. So she sort of sat me down and we spent a lot of time and went through like things she had seen in my act, not necessarily my life, my act, how it didn't Mm -hmm. reflect me well, how I was doing things because I thought they were the way that I should do them is because that's how comedy works. Sure. And not actually doing things that reflected who she knew I, who I was. So Martha is somebody who I absolutely like, is somebody that like has that level of like, that sort of level that like I see between Baldwin and, and Maya, where it's like, they can sort of get to you very quickly and correct your path. And also you'll have the most fun time you ever had with two people with that person.
0: I also think for them, there was a, that shorthand that you get when you share mm-hmm. any kind of lived experience with someone, but then also the relief of the absence of, A sexual connection, like sometimes that can be, yes, that can be a burden too. No, I mean, I
1: think that is a true of my friendship with Dwayne and my friendship with Martha. There never Uh, been a sense of like, there's no will they won't thing. There's no no like. (laughs) Oh my god! And I will say this that I actually recognize, like, as a heterosexual man in the world, I realized at one point when I was in college, I was like, I don't have any friends who are women because I think all of my sort of energy for women was around like sexual feelings. Mm -hmm. And even if I didn't have sexual feelings, there was always some sort of like level, like, well, I wouldn't. So this person's not worth my time, you know? Right. And when I realized that, I was like, that's a problem. And I think that like I, you know, you can't make people be your friends, but you can certainly figure out how to be a more uh, interesting, open, kinder of more available to friendship person than I had been up until that point.
0: Did that idea just pop into your head or did someone point that out? to you because that's kind of remarkable for a 20 something man you know to um
1: again it's almost like what martha said to me why how come i'm not i can't clearly i'm a friendly person but somehow something's getting in the way so it was something that like like i really noticed as a deficit in my life and then and it wasn't i don't think until i moved to the bay area in 97 where and you know you can't like you can't create friends out of whole cloth Mm -mm. but like you just sort of if you put yourself in different scenarios in different places i think this is the big thing you're not afraid to be go to the place if you're invited to the thing and you go, oh, that seems weird, but you go anyway. Or mm-hmm. the more open you are to being, and this is, I mean, this is, I think the whole like, you know, Baldwin going to France, like, you know, sure. or, or Maya going to, like, this is the idea of like, huh, like it's only available to you if you take up the opportunity. So I think the idea of being that so many, I would imagine that so many black people at that point in the history of this country could not imagine getting on a plane and going to another country.
0: It's shocking what he did and I mean he he did he did follow Richard Wright. Mm-hmm. You know Richard Wright had gone a couple years before so that helped a little bit ideologically I would think and there yeah. was that sort of community of writers there it was very much the place to be as a writer. He had not a dime to his name mm-hmm. and what you know he was running almost away from America and Harlem in particular, uh, as much as he was running toward anything. But it is, it's amazing what he did.
1: I think even at that point, there was sort of the, there's sort of a black narrative of like, they don't hate us in France. Like I think about, I think about Josephine Baker, about like Josephine Baker did a similar thing. And Nina Simone actually at one point left the country. And there's sort of a, whether the truth of it is the same, but there's a sense of like, we can get away from America there.
0: Yeah, well, and he said in Europe, Americans are all American. Mm-hmm, and that was mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. of his revelations, right? Is that we, yeah, we are all American. And um, you know, it's hard to create affinity without noticing a division, right? That's yeah. part of what creates the affinity. And then and Maya Angelou was thinking, she was everyone was telling her, Oh, it's so great over here for black people. And she thought, okay, fine, and almost moved her son, and then had that experience with her African friends where she saw the yes. absolute, yeah. you know hideous way they were treated by the french so she realized no 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 place is really safe from this but um she has that great line where she says even just crossing into the border of canada uh, she said mm-hmm. we ha- i have the burden of not looking at white people for the first time because i'm not mm-hmm. i'm just not worrying about them
1: no i mean i and i was a person who in the midst of the 2020 part of the pandemic was like and real and also posed like pandemic and and george floyd and brown taylor and racial reckoning and i would just start i would just be like where is there a place i can go where i could escape th-? just even just for a little bit just to sort yeah. of like not be caught up in the spend a lot of time looking at new zealand because <laughs> <laughs> i because you really quickly find out that there's not really any place you can go as a black american and and escape america and also feel like you're not alone like i would i would i would be like if you look at lists, the best place to live on the planet is Norway. So now I'm going to be the black guy in Norway. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's I not, well, you'll that be the black
0: feel, American in Norway. The black American in
1: Norway. Yeah, doubly yeah. Damn, I don't know. Yeah. Is that one? Yeah. Like, and which I'm, sh- I'm sure there's a few, but it's not like, we're, you know, I don't want to go someplace and feel, uh, you know, one of the things I want to escape in America is being conspicuous everywhere I go as a black Amer- as a black American.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If I do that, I'm not escaping. I can't just blend in. I can't just relax. And then you, so, you know, and there's like, and then you, and, but, and then you say like, well, there's places in Africa you can go. And there's also sort of like this idea of like, I'm still a black American. Like there's just, there's any, is there any place you can sort of go and just sort of be and breathe, you know? And so that's the, and I, you know, I still haven't answered that question yet and I haven't really traveled enough internationally to just be able to say it, but that was something that really stuck in my head and the, and sort of thinking about Baldwin Uh, Josephine Baker, Nina Simone, people who did, especially artists who left because it was almost like they needed, they needed, they needed a place to breathe so they could do art.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what you're working on next? You know, your next project, you do so many things all the time. Do you have a (laughs) next project?
1: I mean, I'm always sort of like, I always feel like it's like a, it's like a, one of those giant like stoves where there's like 15 burners. And there's always like things I'm like, uh, sort of like hoping to do. I mean, right now I'm like, we're, we're actually I'm on the book tour for the uh do the work, the anti-racism mm-hmm. workbook, and and United Shades is out right now. So that's currently where all my all my I think that's it right now. That's where all my energy. Oh, that's is all. Yeah, that's all. That's just the TV all. show and a book well,
0: <laughs> and a and, book. Uh, yeah, and...
1: yeah. You know, when you sort, of, you know, show business, you're sort of an independent contractor a lot of times, and so like, and also again, as an only child, I'm just used to sort of following my nose into wherever I want to go because I didn't have eight sisters and brothers going. No, we all have to go here. So I just think. I'm always going to be sort of like following my nose, I guess.
0: Thank you so much for doing this with us. Thank you. And I hope to speak with you again sometime soon.
1: No, this is fun. Thank you.
0: Be sure to check out Kamau's new book, Do the Work, an Anti-Racist Activity Book, out now. Join us next time on Significant Others to hear about a woman who, among other things, got Marlon Brando a shrink. And finally, if you enjoyed what you heard today, be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee Governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen posed that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw